Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardwar. I'm Reviews Editor Sherlyn Lowe. And today, it's going to be all about the MacBook Air, the M1 edition that was just announced a couple of weeks ago, and we reviewed this week. Uh, was it actually last week? Time just doesn't I think it was, mean <laughs> yeah, I think it was last anything week. anymore. It was last week. It was <laughs> last week. But hey, time doesn't mean anything anymore. A week feels like a month, and a month feels like a year mm-hmm. at this point. So we'll be diving into that and some of the latest news, including... Twitter fleets and uh, hey, Amazon getting into pharmacy stuff. That's weird. Uh, as always, if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe to the Engadget podcast on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes. That one's especially important because um, that's just super helpful in general. And uh, you can email us at podcast at Engadget.com. We typically record live around 10 a.m. Eastern on Thursday, so you can join us at our YouTube channel. Uh, for a live Q&A, and maybe you can even be a part of the episode if you mention something really cool. So check that out. So let's talk about the MacBook Air M1. There's I don't even know what the official name of this is, because in our review, I just called it the MacBook Air M1. But yeah. it's the M1-equipped MacBook Air that Apple just released. Uh, I loved it. It is one of the highest scores I've ever given an Apple laptop, mainly because this thing feels so freaking fast. So just... For full context, go check out my review. Go check out my video produced by uh, Brian O. Um, like that really just gets to all of it. But my main takeaways: God damn, this thing <laughs> is so freaking fast, and it's so fast it doesn't even have a fan. It is a fanless design that, in our benchmarks, clocked higher than Intel and AMD's chips on any ultra portable. And honestly, it even clocked higher than those chips on beefier gaming PCs mm. in some respects. So I think it's incredibly impressive, and I cannot wait to see it running on the MacBook Pro and the Mac Mini and maybe you know other systems down the line. It's insane what Apple has managed to do here. But uh, yeah, th- that's my main takeaway. This is yeah. a crazy cool computer. <laughs> But, Sherlyn, what are your thoughts on the Mac Mini? Are you excited by this thing? The MacBook Air. Um, yeah, the for MacBook me, Air. I, you know, I haven't touched it, I haven't used it, but I have heard a lot about it. Um, the reviews went up on Tuesday and Twitter was, you know, because I'm in tech Twitter, and yeah. it was just everyone was super hype about it, which is quite impressive. Now, I trust you, Devendra, of course, so if you mm-hmm. say it's good, 
I believe is good, but when everyone in the industry agrees, I think that is kind of. Then you're like, oh, I don't know. No, no, no. Then I'm like. I was trying to be nice. I want to be like, if Davinder says yeah. it, I'm not sure. But if everyone in the industry yeah, exactly. says, that's not again, I... not nice. But okay, I get it. <laughs> I'm kidding. So yeah, unanimous <laughs> approval of this yeah. thing. And I think like when Apple was talking about the M1 chip and these systems, I think we were all a little skeptical, justifiably skeptical, because they mm-hmm. were saying things like, "This is the fastest core uh, PC ever made," and I think they actually adjusted some of those stats. It is the fastest like low power core so like the fastest arm core but not the fastest like desktop high performance core because amd does beat them in some respects but for what this chip is for something (laughs) that is in a 2.8 pound laptop that is super thin the design has not changed from the last macbook air we reviewed uh like earlier this year so it has the same like it has a good keyboard it has the you know revamped keyboard not the butterfly um great sleek design the unibody stuff hasn't changed very much but it's what's in it that counts. And man, this thing flies. Like the, when I pulled it out of the box and I just like opened it up a little, it was just boom, ready to go, ready to go through setup. There is practically no wait for it to wake up from sleep. So that was always great, but also it just feels fast. Like the interface almost feels like they took what makes iOS feel so fast and brought it over to Mac. And that's essentially what it is, right? Because it is an ARM-based chip, mm-hmm. uh, macOS Big Sur, is optimized for this new hardware. And it just feels like all of a sudden the Mac hardware and software sides are just running in concert, which to me has always been the best part of iOS. You know, I feel like I I like a lot about Android phones, but the thing a lot of Android phones do is like they try to throw in special features or extra hardware or extra cameras to kind of mimic some of the like harmonious experience Apple can deliver because they're building their own hardware and software, right? Apple can take advantage of more stuff, whereas Android phones will have to, you know, put in a lot more hardware to deliver a similarly smooth experience in some respects. So they're they're basically recreating that on Macs, and I think that's really exciting. I'm sure Mac fans are happy about this too because it makes um, it makes Mac- Apple systems more than just PCs mm-hmm. running macOS, right? Like when Apple switched over to Intel chips in 2005. That was a monumental shift. That basically meant under the hood, everything in a Mac was pretty much the same as what was in a Windows PC. And there was like a a bit less of a luster to the Mac experience. Now Apple can be like, hey, you have an ultra portable that starts at $999, is faster than pretty much most other, you know, laptops out there, uh, any Windows PCs. Mm -hmm. That seems like a hard thing to, to ignore. Like anybody looking at a new computer now can be like, oh, I want the Mac hardware because it has great battery life, yeah. because it's so powerful. This thing lasted uh, 16 and a half hours in our benchmark, and during regular usage, it the battery like would barely tick down. I was able to like use it all day. Maybe by 8 p.m. it would be down to like 30%, but it's just like hardcore because this is a mobile processor. So, hey, a lot of what Apple was saying turns out is true, <laughs> and it is crazy what this thing is able to do. It's just, it's very fast. It's the fastest web browser performance I've ever seen on a notebook or even a desktop, to be honest. You're like talking Safari about Safari, though, so yeah. Quickly. Yeah. So, like, yeah, that's the main thing, right? And so there are native apps now that are built for the M1 chip, and everything else runs through Rosetta 2 emulation. But I was surprised. Even that felt good. Like, I, I didn't notice any significant slowdown, and... Even though they're not fully optimized, they still felt like they were running on a fast PC. So 
Apple did something here that Microsoft really didn't. Could you talk to us about you know what Microsoft did when they tried to bring Windows to well, ARM? Well, I guess that's the thing is my yeah. question to you, which and, and a question that a lot of people have too, is mm-hmm. why is the, or, or how is the emulation better? Because Microsoft's emulation introduces some quirks, I think, to the system. I haven't done a head-to-head comparison, so I can't really tell the difference. Like when you say, yeah. you know, apps run natively uh, on the emulator, Fast. I don't know. I, I feel like well, no, I want to run the Not natively on the, but apps just run on the emulator because there's right. a difference. The, the right? Native that, apps and emulated yes. apps. Yeah. The apps that you're talking about that can't mm-hmm. run on the or that that run on yeah. the emulator. I want to see how that same app runs on a Windows on ARM machine so that for I can sure, do kind sure. of that comparison to know for myself well, here's, how the emulator behaves. Here's the main thing. Some of those apps just don't even run on the Windows on ARM machine, right? You reviewed the Surface Pro X. Right. That's because the support yeah. isn't very clear. Now, one thing I saw yeah. actually a screenshot on Twitter is when the uh, you go to a download page for an app installer. Um, mm-hmm. The the pop-up actually asks if you want to download the uh, ARM-based version or the mm-hmm. Intel-based version, which I think oh, is I interesting. Oh, I haven't even seen that. I saw yeah. a screenshot. I, I'm not entirely 100% sure if this is happening on the M1 MacBook Air. But if mm-hmm. that's the case, that's all I've been asking Microsoft to do. That is literally what I want out of Microsoft because you yeah. just have to make it clear to people what apps can and can't be installed, but they haven't even done that. And that's been my biggest problem yeah. with Windows on ARM. Um, I hear I'm, that. I hear you know, that. The, the emulator is fine. It's workable. It certainly doesn't sound as as if it's as smooth as Apple's. But app compatibility will always be an issue when you're talking about getting people to port legacy apps over to a new it, system. It is. But here's the thing. Like when it comes to compatibility, there are apps like 64-bit apps in particular that literally do not run. You cannot even launch them. You on, can't do anything. On Microsoft, yes. On Windows, on ARM. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On Mac, what Apple has done is Rosetta 2 just handles everything just fine. 32-bit apps, 64-bit apps. It is seamless to me as a user, which I think is the main thing here. Like if I downloaded an app from the Mac store, uh, it doesn't tell you up front if it's Mac or Intel, but it'll give you the best available app. If you do a command I for get info, you can see on the binary if it's a native app or an Intel app. But to a normal user, it actually doesn't matter because everything still runs great. So and that's important. I think that's yeah, yeah that's important. That's the main thing. Um, maybe Mac users not, aren't as used to just going around the web and downloading random installers, which right, you can still do. And I did that for a bunch of things. Right, it was fine. Um, whereas Windows users, they're more used to going to download.com or finding an EXE oh, yeah. or something. And it is a difference too. Like the Windows Store, I think does a better job of telling you which apps actually run on Windows on ARM hardware. But even then. There's not much there. So, right. The thing is, technically, yeah. we were talking about this in a previous episode, which is all mm-hmm. the stuff from the Windows Store should run on Windows on ARM. It will. Yes. Um, yes. But because, like you said, there's just a dearth of apps. There's not that many apps on the Windows Store. Um, and so it's it's like, Windows users, <laughs> it feels a little shortchanged here. Um, yeah. Like, I, I would never recommend anybody buy the Surface Pro X. Like, as cool as that hardware looks, as sleek as it looks, <laughs> it is the most modern Surface laptop we've or Surface tablet we've ever seen. But why would you buy a $1,000 computer that can't run more like a lot of Windows apps? Like, you just cannot work on it the way you would a normal Windows PC. Anybody can go buy this MacBook Air or any M1 computer and just start working. And I think that's the main thing, right? Your workflow doesn't have to change. I didn't have to do anything different because mm-hmm. I was using this computer. I was being more aware because I knew what I was testing here. But if I was just a consumer who bought this thing, I'd be like, wow, Apple's laptops are just much better than everybody else's. And that's all that really matters, you know? 
it's uh to me i mm-hmm. just there there are still some head-to-head comparisons i want to make like sure. you say it wakes up instantly i want to see how that compares because instant wake is also a feature of uh snapdragon pcs um mm. and battery yeah. life would be good to just kind of compare head-to-head too but again those are we're going down to the nitty-gritty i feel like i think mm-hmm. if you look at how overwhelming the positive response has been across the industries uh across the industry um it's clear that apple has done a really great job and surprisingly Mm -hmm. so i think a lot of us were very skeptical to start with hey i mean and you brought up snapdragon pcs hey we've seen a lot of companies try to bring arm-based chip and mobile-based chips to pcs and hey you've written a lot about that from computex (laughs) over the past couple years and i reviewed Um, a few of them (laughs) Yeah, the dream is that you'll have ultra light Windows PCs that'll last all day, that'll yeah. have mobile connectivity and everything. And we just have not seen that happen. I feel like the one thing that's missing from this MacBook Air is like, hey, give us some mobile connectivity. Yeah. Like, give us now that you have less hardware actually inside the machine, because everything is inside the M1 system on a chip. So the, ma- the RAM, the actual CPU, a lot of the graphics, like all the graphics hardware. There is room to do more and add more components. I feel like Apple um, may be sitting on a full redesign mm. of the MacBook Air because this is just the same case. We've already yeah. seen just the same keyboard. But the screen bezels are still a little too thick compared to Windows laptops. Like oh, certain yeah. things look a little dated. But the screen also looks great. So it's like I I can't complain too much. Um, and the other thing I'll mention here, the M1 chip, because it's ARM-based, it is essentially the same chip that is in iPhones and iPads. So you can run iOS apps on this Mac. And that is kind of interesting too. I mainly used it for some benchmarks just to get like a sense of numbers. Um, you could run some iPhone apps uh, basically side by side with your desktop. Nice. Uh, but developers can also basically keep their apps out of this whole ecosystem. So Google and Facebook have immediately been like, no, you cannot run our apps on macOS. No, thank you. So you can't have Instagram open alongside your email, basically, or at least not in a separate window. So that's kind of a shame. And I feel like that really hurts the usability of having these apps there. But it's still kind of cool. I think there's some iPad apps that would fit right alongside a desktop because they'll, they're will they built for yeah. bigger screens. And, you know, maybe developers will start taking advantage of this, too. I, I will say, again, mm-hmm. having not spent any like time with a unit, um, just judging on pictures, there's one small complaint that I have, mm-hmm. too which is like previous MacBook Airs and smaller MacBooks, this thing has two USB-C ports on one yep. side. Yep. And that's slightly annoying to me because, I mean, I'm using, I've used a Galaxy Book uh, Flex 13 for a while now. And the best thing about it is that it's got, I mean, first of all, it's got three USB-C ports. But the best thing is more that it has ports on both sides because yep. I'm not all like... I'm reviewing another laptop now where the power charging side is the wrong side for me. So mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh, now to like rearrange my whole setup. It's a, it's to a stupid, simple it. thing, right? Like it I is. think the last time I saw that was the HP Spectre X360 that I reviewed like last year right. and that only had things on the right side. Right. That is a pain. Apple and has done this for a while with the Air, but yeah. If you use a dongle, if you use a USB-C thing, which you have to because like mm-hmm. it's just two ports, you might end up covering one of them if your dongle isn't built the right way. Like if it's <laughs> it's a little too wide, it's going to cover sure. the port. So what? You, you need a extension Pass- board for your dongle. You need, you need to like bring your dongles out a little. It's all a mess. And I do think having only two ports on a machine that's this, typically you'd be like, oh, you have an Air. You can only do so much with it. You know, don't right. stress it too much. It's not super powerful. This machine, just with the M1 chip, 
can play some games. Like I was playing Apple Arcade games like The Pathless. I even ran Fortnite in 1440 by 900. Mm. So not like super high resolution, but it ran at 60 FPS. Uh, it crashed pretty quickly because Epic stopped updating <laughs> Fortnite. But you can imagine a game like that running on hardware like this with no dedicated GPU. It's just the graphics that are that are there on the M1 SoC. That is still pretty powerful. The graphics-wise in our benchmarks, it just blew away Intel's mm. Iris Plus graphics. The last, the, their integrated graphics from last year that Intel was really hyping up, uh, I have not seen it compared directly to Intel's XE graphics. So that's mm-hmm. like the new thing from Tiger Lake chips. Uh, but basically, Apple has accomplished something pretty great here, both in terms of performance and so many other things. I would like more than two ports because if you're charging the computer, that's one taken up right yep. away. And then that leaves you with just one more. So, you know, that's where the MacBook Pro 13-inch may be more usable. But then you still have only USB-C ports, but you get four of them, right? So that's something. I prefer that. Um, Speaking of the MacBook Pro, so the MacBook Air you reviewed with the M1 uh, is the one with the seven cores in the GPU, right? No. So there are, just to be aware as as you're trying to buy this, the 999 MacBook Air has seven GPU cores. The 1249 model has eight. I don't think there's going to be a huge difference in performance there. You know, yeah. it's just a single core. But if you actually want to use this thing for more like maybe heavy duty work, um, although at that point you're probably going to be a pro anyway, yeah. the 1249 model may make more sense. You can also spend an extra 200 bucks to add 16 gigabytes of RAM to either of these machines. So that's I think that's a good upgrade, especially if you want to keep something for four years or so. So that's the main difference there. I reviewed the 1249 model. Okay, so my question to yeah. you is, over and over on this show, we've recommended people stay away from first-gen products. Sure. What do you think this time around? Is it safe for people to go out and buy these things? I would say, so, and this is a thing I was really also recommending before we fully saw these products. Mm-hmm. This doesn't really feel like a first-gen product because Apple has spent the past 10 years, you know, and more than 10 years, building its own chips for all of its mobile devices, for the iPhone, for the iPad, And we've seen every year that those things get faster and faster and faster. Um, I think there was, it it was a chart from, I think, a Nantech that was charting like the specific GPU benchmark over the past few years. And Apple is just like going up and up and up every year, like in a straight line. Whereas AMD and Intel, you're seeing some slight curves in how fast their chips are getting, but there's like a certain slowdown. But this year is sort of like an intersection point where, Apple basically was forced to move over to their own hardware because their chips are getting more powerful than the stuff they've been getting from Intel. So if Apple had stuck with Intel, they would be limiting themselves and their own hardware. And it doesn't make sense, right? Because they're already building or they're already designing these chips for mobile. So it doesn't feel like a first-gen product. It feels like Apple has actually had years to hone this design. And I I figure they've also spent a lot of time seeing how ARM chips would work in macOS and designing it. I feel like Whereas Microsoft just like sent out the Surface Pro X and we've seen some computers just rush out to be like, hey, Windows on ARM can exist, (laughs) except we haven't tested it. There's no app compatibility. Like it doesn't run very well, but it's here. I think I almost feel like Apple had spent at least a couple of years really honing in like how it's working on macOS because it doesn't feel first gen. So I think you're safe to buy this. Um, This isn't something like the very first iPad or the very first Apple Watch where they're just kind of experimenting with this hardware and it's probably going to be abandoned in a couple of years. This feels solid and it feels workable for for us and for mainstream consumers too. Yeah. I think we had some like normal person questions from Ben, sure. didn't we? 
Yes, here is here are my normal person questions, just from like a consumer who could use, <laughs> you know, a little bit of background information. Um, you know, sure. I, I do eventually want to talk about benchmarks because I think benchmarks are really important. That's a little bit past the normal person questions, but here are my normal person questions. Yes. Does this MacBook Air have a headphone jack? Does the M1 yes. line currently have a headphone jack? Yeah, yes. I mean, that's not anything to do with the M1. This Air has it has a headphone jack. Honestly, I was surprised. It was actually Windows PCs are the first I'm seeing that don't have the headphone jack. So I'm looking at you, Asus ZenBook Flip S that I reviewed <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. Literally no reason for them not to have yeah. a headphone jack on that. But, so yeah, I'm, hey, I know that you you're saying that this is the exact same body design, but it seems like a little um, iterative update like this might be a good excuse for them to be like, oops, no headphone jack. But then again, they do have to retool the body it, for those sorts of things then. They do, they do. So yeah, any change takes time and energy, honestly. I could see them if they removed the headphone jack but added two more USB-C ports on the other side and you had a dongle for headphones. Like, okay, maybe that's more workable. Uh, then at that point, speaking I could of which, the that's yeah. that was my next question. Usually, mm-hmm. Apple blames the lack of ports on the fact that they need to pack in more hardware. I think this is something that kind of came mm-hmm. over from their mobile stuff, uh, especially like why they abandoned the headphone jack because it's like, oh, well, you can't get a bigger battery, yep, you can't yep. get like all of this tech that we're packing into this body, and that is much more limited space than a notebook. But yeah, that was their main argument for taking headphone jacks away from iPhones. So so the system on a chip dynamic should leave some more room for ports, right? Like, what could their next excuse be then? I mean, I feel like, yeah, it's just having time to redesign the case and everything. Because from what we've seen, I haven't torn this thing open, but logically, the system on a chip just seems more compact. It is bringing together more of the hardware. So the actual motherboard, the actual PCB shouldn't be as big as before. So that should give them more room for things like more ports and other things. I do feel like they wanted to get this out quickly. That's the main thing. Like, hey, we just plop this chip in here. We have all these cases. We know how to build this. We're not messing with anything here. Um, let's just get it out to consumers. Because what's more important than the case redesign is making sure the chip works, it's not crashing, and the software is good. And I think the overall user experience is good. You know, a case redesign would just be like the, the icing on top. You know? Then that gets to the question of why not put a bigger battery in also? Like, they could really call out the entire industry by saying, like, oh, we've got a 35-hour machine here. Yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think they've gotten that much room out of the out of the chip redesign. That would um, be like double the battery size, and I don't know about that. Yeah, <laughs> that would be a lot of space. Um, but to the point about ports too, it's like like when we're talking about case redesign, we mean like these cases, like literal new holes need to be cut in the yeah, cases. Yeah, new holes. They need to be manufactured in new and, ways. Like that's a lot of testing right. that goes into and that. And the components yeah. need to be arranged closer to the edge. Or if you're putting them like mm-hmm. maybe in the middle where there's more space freed up, then like the what, what wiring the connections have to be made too. So there's more than just like, oh, we got more yeah. space, like squeeze some ports in there. It's a little there's bit more a lot complicated more than that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's a whole electrical engineering problem and design problem and everything. To what you were saying, Ben, hey, I think they're already making everybody look bad battery wise because <laughs> my actual perf- my experience using this thing is that the battery would basically barely go down. Whereas on my MacBook Pro right now that I'm using for work, so it's like a 2017 era with I think an eighth gen Intel chip, using that thing for maybe three hours will kill the battery. Like I the know MacBook that. Air I know that. or the MacBook Pro, at least the last yeah, the last couple Intel chips, 
uh, Intel systems just have not been good with battery. And we've seen PC laptops go to beyond 12 hours with battery, right, right Sherlyn? Yeah, yeah, so I, I was going to say, I think that the comparison you were making has partly to do with deterioration over time, just in general. Yeah. All no, no, nope. it shipped like that, that. Trillin. It, it shipped with just like three. That. Oh, 2017. Okay, I remember 2017. that being an issue way back when. Okay, anyway, but but recent yep. PCs, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, on our benchmarks have lasted, yes, beyond 12 yes. hours, some 14 hours too. Uh, Snapdragon PCs are supposed to last 20 to 22 hours mm-hmm. uh, of video rundown, but real world use, they're coming closer actually to more like 10 hours sometimes, depending on how you use it. I want to stress that the Snapdragon PCs yeah. that I've tested are all like they have LTE connectivity built in. So that sure, sure. you know, hits your, your battery runtime a little bit more than mm-hmm. the existing model of the M1 MacBook Air. So that's, that's some context <laughs> around it. But I will say sure. we are moving towards like longer battery life in general. Apple does seem to be giving everyone sort of a run for their money. Like... PC mm-hmm. people, I think PC makers are nervous. They're like, what are we going to do? Most definitely, most definitely. I'm sure, like, I'm looking at Intel, I'm looking at AMD, and, you know, they've all just made recent announcements. But I'm sure Intel in particular is just like, man, this is a punch like, to the oh. gut. Because yeah. Apple just comes out with a chip that is significantly faster than anything Intel has really been working on. Intel is still within the M1 chip. Like, these, uh, the ports are Thunderbolt 4 ports, so... Intel isn't fully out of the Mac ecosystem, but it is kind of embarrassing. Like Apple just showed everybody up. And I'm not a fanboy here. I review Windows PCs most of the time. You I love the, the XPS 13. I love the XPS 13. I scored the XPS 13 the same as the MacBook Air M1 Ooh. because I think that is the sort of also ideal polished Windows PC experience because it has practically no screen bezels and it's super fast and everything. I just, I'm just really impressed with what Apple has done here. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what people say, like once they actually get to use this for themselves. Speaking of Intel and AMD, show us mm-hmm. them benchmarks. I, a normal <laughs> man, will just smile and nod like I know what's going on. I mean, okay, let's go look. If you go look at my review for the MacBook Air M1, the main, <laughs> the only like cross-platform benchmark I could really <laughs> find was Geekbench 5. So... Even in that, right, the MacBook Air uh, scored 1,619 points in single core, which is faster than the Dell XPS 20, uh, Dell XPS 17, which is running a beefier H series Intel chip. It's faster than the Zephyrus G14, which is running the like highest end Ryzen 9 AMD CPU. Those things scored at around. That's uh, yeah. faster than. Sorry, I just tested something that's a 10th yeah. gen Core i7, and it's single yeah. core is yeah. 911. So basically, the fastest Intel and AMD mobile chips can get you around 1,200 points. The MacBook Air M1 with no fan, let me stress this, no fan, is able to get 1,600 points. And same with like when you get to multi-core um, performance, so that's like you know multi-threaded apps, things like video rendering and beefier things, that's also significantly, it scored 6,200 points just about uh, on the MacBook Air M1, it's a a lot lot because it is the XPS 13, the Intel 10th gen XPS 13 that I reviewed earlier this year. Um, That one scored 4,600 points. So in this respect, you know, the XPS 17, the Zephyrus G14 in multi-core, these are much more powerful chips. So these scored around 7,700 points. And that is the sort of difference, right? That's why you buy a beefier system. But the fact that 
an air I, with no fan, no fan can get 6,200 is is wild. A, w- a word on benchmarks, right? I think that people sometimes question if benchmarks, A, can be gamed or B, how useful are they for real world observation? And I think that the point of having benchmarks sure. is for comparison against other systems. So we're putting these machines all through the same sets of tests and the results are kind of how to compare because otherwise, based on real world, this looks fast. I'm just gonna be like, yeah. this thing took three seconds. Yeah, th- this thing took three seconds to render my Photoshop edit, whereas that thing took two point five seconds. You don't know. Like it's yeah. hard to tell. So you, people might be skeptical about benchmarks, and I myself am sometimes. Um, but as a point of comparison, sure, sure. I do think that yep. they're pretty. Hey, listen, I'm sure a lot of the online commentariat wants the unbiased, you know, reporting. Like literally, benchmarks are. <laughs> That is the most unbiased things can get. It is just numbers seen by performing the same test, you know, and I'm just writing down the numbers. So there you go. <laughs> as, as someone who's yep. been covering mobile yep. phones for a long time and remembering when companies used yes. to game the benchmarks, this is why I'm a little bit like nervous sure, about sure. relying too heavily on benchmarks, right? Because sometimes they tweak their system yep. to detect like, oh, you're running geek. That was definitely, that was thing. a thing, so, but that was also a thing by like second third tier, you know, companies who were like, please notice us, like, please. Yeah, it was was not a great thing. It was not something you expect an Apple to do or like a a major company. But hey, anyway, those are the benchmarks. I think the system's really good. Um, I'm (laughs) looking forward to like getting this back in my hands and doing some further testing. Uh, I really want to bench the MacBook Pro M1 and the Mac Mini. We haven't even really reviewed a Mac Mini ever, I think. But I really want to see what it works like, um, you know, with this new hardware. So those are my thoughts on the MacBook Air M1. If you have any questions, if you want to chat about this, email us at podcastengadget.com. We definitely want to report on this thing further. So I've just seen my review so so far, and that was like with a week with this machine. But I'm sure we'll learn more as we test it further. Now on to a quick update of our never-ending election from 2020. Things are looking pretty good in Georgia. Our, our recount came in, and it very much leans to Biden, so that is very nice. Um, but there, there is some news, and of course, like things, there, there are always signs of things uh, just going badly. Um, earlier this week, uh, <laughs> Donald Trump fired the U.S. Cybersecurity Director Christopher Krebs, and this is a guy who basically has had a target on his back over the last couple of weeks because his work at the at the cybersecurity department, I guess, like he runs cybersecurity for the country and was working on election security. And for the longest time, they ran basically a portion of their site, which was just uh, dismissing um, conspiracies and like debunking rumors. And for the past couple of weeks, all they've been doing is debunking Donald Trump. So when the president would be like, oh, man, this election is rigged. There's there's a ton of illegal votes. The U.S. CIS would basically be like, no, this is the most secure election we've ever had, and there is no evidence of anything bad. So, yeah. The USCIS? Yeah, it's a, it's oh, a thing. Okay. I believe that's the acronym. But he was basically saying the emperor has no clothes for the past uh, for the past week, <laughs> a couple weeks. So he was yeah, fired in a, in a tweet. He, I think, was fully expecting it. I think he told papers that he was going to, he was expecting to be fired soon. So, Hey, if we when we look back at the history of this election and kind of the influence of technology and misinformation and everything, this guy 
will uh, will be remembered as somebody who actually tried to fight against misinformation. So shout out to this guy. Shout out to Christopher Krebs. One thing I also want to bring up was if you were on Twitter, I believe it was Monday night for a single hour, one county in Michigan um, <laughs> was basically trying to avoid certifying the election for Joe Biden, which I thought... That was just a really strange thing because it was in Wayne County, which is uh, covers very heavily Democratic cities like Detroit, I believe. And it was uh, two members of that uh, that county's board that was just really trying to not not uh, not recognize the results of the election. And eventually they reversed their decisions and, um, you know, they were shouted down by other members of the board. But I just feel it was a wild hour on Twitter where it looked like. These these people just don't want to actually uh, count the results of the election. So that felt weird. It also showed to me, it proved like the drama of Twitter, right? Like so much can happen within an hour, this big controversy. And then a couple minutes later, oh, no, everything has been reversed. But it's still a thing that happened. You know, I don't want us to forget the history just because it happened so quickly. And um, I think the last story I saw about this, too, is that they're even trying to rescind their ad- approval of it now. It's a whole thing. But hey, Twitter. Twitter is a really interesting thing to watch uh, as all this news is coming down fast. Because if you're just looking at the news headlines, <laughs> you're not. You're only getting part of the story, right? It, it, it is just kind of wild how much info you can get at once. That's also the danger of Twitter. But Sherlyn, tell me more about the danger of Twitter and too much Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> so... I know. Speaking of Twitter and things maybe not lasting forever on Twitter and not, you know, <laughs> just happening for an hour, uh, this week Twitter rolled out Fleets, the Instagram stories uh, competitor on its website. So if you use Twitter at all, you'll have seen a new row of icons at the top of your page. Uh, basically, if you've never used Instagram stories or Snapchat, which it's OG, which is where Instagram stole this from. Um, these are, you know, little videos or things that take up the whole of your phone screen. And, uh, you know, people can post text, images, videos, uh, and they live only for 24 hours before going away. So this is, uh, I mean, first of all, what, Twitter, <laughs> why? I want an edit button. Do you I want, want an edit this, button? But okay, thank you. We've talked, we, we've, about, we've this, talked about this in previous yeah. episodes, whether or not, yeah, well, we can we can talk about the edit button later. But it was my joke. It was my joke that I can't get an edit button, but I can get stories. Um, and I mean, yeah, people have been going wild on Twitter, clearly, uh, because not only is it, you know, something that's new for people to try out on Twitter, you can reach different mm-hmm. audience on Twitter as opposed to on Instagram stories. But it's also kind of, and and these reports have been coming out, it's ripe for harassment and for flouting some of Twitter's uh, guidelines and policies. So because these are like 24 hours only and they're in stories, so they're basically in videos, Twitter's system might not be looking at them as closely as they're looking at you. I don't think anybody was asking for this. That's my Um, main takeaway. It's like, we don't don't need more Twitter that is unfiltered and unchecked, right? I will say, I suspect uh, that Twitter's whole thing for implementing this was they saw the success of Instagram stories. Because no one, I mean, my friends and I have been talking about this forever now, but like no one posts their grid anymore. Everyone's just posting stories. Um, And people look at them all the time. People are posting them all the time. If you're looking at, if you're a company like Twitter and you're looking at bumping your daily active user numbers, 
this might be oh they maybe they it's, felt a, like it's just it's away, funny right? because so like I twitter like and hey everybody forgets about snapchat too it's like instagram stories was so successful but it was really facebook just staling they stealing everything you know that, that's the yeah. thing and then <laughs> someone uh i think uh one of the people i follow was like oh i've posted more fleets than i have facebook stories mm-hmm. Sure. And true, because Facebook Stories is sure. a garbage hole. And it's also I think, separate anyway, from Instagram Stories. And it's uh, so separate from dumb. Instagram okay. Stories. Although, don't say that because now Facebook will force them to merge. Please do not put your uh, dumb Instagram uh, Facebook okay. Stories on my Instagram. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, so someone's already like, you know, said that they've used fleets more. Again, I think that for me, the way I think about it is like it's a very different audience that I'm reaching on Twitter. Um, yes, some of my Twitter followers also follow me on Instagram, but I feel like for me, Instagram is more a sure. close knit thing. More of my friends from home and friends here yep. have Instagram than Twitter. Um, and so like, I- I- I'm torn. I- I'm personally not going to use fleets all that much. I just do it for the <laughs> being in the zeitgeist and having fun. Yeah. Um, but the, the whole potential for harassment is also an issue because when people reply to your tweets, mm-hmm. those are public. When people reply to your stories or your fleets, those are private. Um, and people, I think, feel more emboldened to say right. whatever the hell they want in a private reply. Even though you can, yes, still snap, uh, screenshot mm-hmm. them and share them if you want to shame this person. But it, it does open up this like other channel for people yeah. to get in touch with you. And who knows whether that's going to be a good or bad thing. I think that that might not be great. So Twitter clearly has a lot to think about. And it did say that it is looking at how it's to it's more like it I don't know better. why, um, especially after everything Twitter, like all the criticism Twitter has faced over the last few years, why you would release a new vector for basically abuse because it's a new vector for engagement and engagement yeah. on the internet equals eventual abuse. Um, without thinking about how right. you would protect people, because and I think this is it doesn't matter. They don't they don't <laughs> they care more about getting those engagement numbers up rather than making sure their users are safe. And this is the consistent problem we've had with social media over the last few years too. So I'll say this, um, Mm -hmm. to me, it just feels redundant because isn't the whole point of Twitter is to just get your bullshit out there. Yeah. Be right. Exactly. Sometimes like I actually miss the point where we were just like tweeting about dumb things and not just the fate of democracy. So I do kind of like to throw out those tweets some nights of just like a dumb thing. And then people would start engaging with it. Hey, that's fun. But I literally don't. That's what right. I do exclusively. Just dumb just tweets dumb at tweets, night. I've seen your feed. Um, but yeah, I have no reason <laughs> to produce a tweet that will disappear in 24 hours. Uh, maybe they're chasing some of the users. I've seen some like high profile users who would just like do a couple tweets, let yeah. them sit for a while and delete the tweets. I think like right. Jabuki, the comedian, is like a good example of that where he would mm. sometimes tweet like a really extreme joke at times just to see like what it is and kill it uh, before he gets like censored by Twitter. So I I don't know. Maybe they're looking at that engagement strategy and trying to figure out how to do it. Um I am looking forward to never tweet never fleeting, always tweeting. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite tweets about, you know, mm-hmm. fleets since it rolled out was by Ashley Mayer. She goes, Twitter's product roadmap, fleets, colon, stories but on Twitter. Beats, Spotify right. but on Twitter. Meets Tinder mm. on Twitter, and finally, I don't know if we can say mm. this on a podcast, but T E E T S. Oh, uh, so scandalous! Only fans, but on okay. Twitter. 
look, I don't know. We can and can't say. Um, but I thought that was hilarious. Uh, and yeah, who knows what else Twitter might be cooking in its little Twitter kitchen back there. Okay, Sherlyn, that all sounds terrifying. Tell me something that doesn't sound as dumb <laughs> as Twitter fleets, um, such as... Amazon getting into pharmacies? What? Uh, I don't know if it doesn't sound as dumb. <laughs> I'm, I guess being it's not as dumb. I'm being sarcastic. I'm being sarcastic. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Long, long-time listeners know that telehealth is a recent pet topic of mine. Mine, and ever since I've been covering, you know, digital pharmacies and digital like uh, medical health services, um, I've had this suspicion that Amazon was working on this in the background, just because you kind of know they're getting into it. This is like three years ago when I first interviewed the founder of Row, uh, which is the uh, online, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe them. I don't think pharmacy is the right word, but anyway, um, and I have been asking them like, Amazon's just gonna do this and yeah. put you out of business maybe. There is a difference, though, between what Amazon is doing and uh, the competitors or the existing startups in the space are doing. But let's let's explain this a little bit. So Amazon announced this week um, the service mm-hmm. called Pharmacy. It's not like Amazon's not been delivering medicine to your door before. And now it's just got a more unified storefront to do it. It's really working with insurance providers directly. And it's trying to help you. It, it can be the prescriber for some medications that you need. And it is specifically uh, for a certain type of medication. So nothing that is uh, classified FDA type two, which mm-hmm. is a little more controlled, but the uh, prescriptions that are, you know, that you can maybe ask Amazon pharmacy for include things like birth control. Um, sure. uh, I'm getting Do, it, the, it, the, does it cover things list. like a lot of the startups we're seeing now too, because there are a bunch of medical startups um, you know, things like keeps and for him which yeah. offer like erectile dysfunction drugs and yeah. hair, like, you know, stuff for your hair yep. to keep your hair from receding. And that's the whole premise mm-hmm. of those startups too, because they, they operate in the same space of like lower yeah. danger yeah. drugs, right? Like, uh, non, not, not so controlled substances. And yes, that is the same space. Uh, but the, the criticism of Amazon pharmacy so far from people in the industry and like, for example, the founder of, uh, mm-hmm. co-founder of Rosie, who we've spoken to on the show before, says that it would have been great to see Amazon remove middlemen to drive even lower prices for patients rather than exacerbating some of the largest problems of the current system. But overall, they mm-hmm. believe more competition is good for patients. Basically, it's it's not, to me, you're, I mean, people are still going to have to rely on right. their insurance providers for some of these. If you have insurance... You know, you have a way and you have a, another option. But the problem is right now, most people are already using some sort of mm-hmm, mm-hmm. pill delivery service. You've got Express Script. Yeah, even, even CBS is CBS, doing it now. They've all adapted, of, which is great. Right. So who's going to switch over to Amazon? Yeah. If your insurance, also your insurance provider is the right, one that determines right. who's your, your pharmacy. So you're just going to listen to them. And really, who you should be serving in this case are the people who don't have to be, you know, who mm-hmm. aren't covered by insurance, who don't have to be like, oh, my insurance provider makes all the decisions, right? If you are you have the freedom of choice, that's where you might consider something like that. And for, and Amazon's not doing a lot here to make it easier for those people, basically. Um, it, it It's fine if you have a prime subscription and you're really into the Amazon ecosystem, but you know, other services, I know we bring up Row a lot, but that's just one of the brands I'm most familiar with. Um, they do kind of like the everything, right? From from when you start to feel like you have symptoms, you go to the website, or when you have questions about 
what it is you want to take, mm-hmm. like erectile dysfunction, dysfunction medicine. Um, you go there, you fill out a questionnaire, you get to talk to a doctor. And, you know, it's all like a more mm-hmm. personal process. And Amazon Pharmacy, I, I mean, I haven't tried it yet, but it, it just seems a little bit more. For sure. I mean, that, that's the whole that Amazon thing. I do point. wonder if they're catering to people who are just lazy right. and don't want to go through, you know, a lot of the processes because Roe and for him, they, a lot of them involve like answering questions and going through like a bit of a medical right. thing. Like, um, like, yeah, yeah. As someone, <laughs> as someone who's had mm-hmm. really bad experiences before, like yeah. I've been in the ER, okay, from medication that I got through Ugh. a website like that. Um, mm-hmm. And, and like, it just was bleeding mm-hmm. for months on end nonstop. It was bad. Okay, so I would say I prefer sure. the comfort and the security of the perceived security of mm-hmm. talking to mm-hmm. a medical professional. I don't know if we can trust Amazon as a delivery for such essential things just because they've done a bad job of even keeping their actual marketplace safe uh, from counterfeiters and from all sorts of things too. Like I don't this exactly. is a company that I will always think of like, oh, they'll get into something because I can make a lot of money from it rather than being like, oh, I can genuinely make this better for everybody and genuinely help. help. Like Amazon exactly. doesn't really care about that. I'm interested to see where this goes because we need more solutions for getting medication. Uh, the way things work in America just aren't great. But yeah, it, it sucks because we're all still beholden basically to our insurance providers. I don't quite know what space Amazon's right. in here. And I also like some of the companies like for hymns and keeps, like I like that they're around. It's easy to get access to certain things. Like, Hey, I've, I've yep. occasionally will order things from for hymns to keep my hair from falling out too much, you know, because if I stop that now, right. it's much easier right. than, uh, you know, fixing it later. So I have liked that process yeah. and that's been pretty easy and I've used them just fine. But I don't know if I trust Amazon to right. give me the right things because I don't trust Amazon in general, right? Bob Herman, the one of the health reporters for Exius, I think put it really nicely. Uh, he said on Twitter, Amazon's new pharmacy seems more like rearranging mm-hmm. deck mm-hmm. chairs, plus also rebranding its uh, pill pack acquisition yep. from a while ago than actual disruption. Amazon's not doing anything really new here. It's just entering a space that's burgeoning and maybe looking at how I can profit. Also, I don't know how comfortable I want I am with Amazon yep. knowing what pills I take and just reminding me the way it does. Like, hey, do you want to refill your dried mangoes and also yeah. your prescription? Like, no, <laughs> leave me alone. How many dried mangoes do you order from Amazon, Trillin? Um. <laughs> well, I guess especially recently, it, it is a good way. Um. But that is a common thing I pick up at like the health food store. But it is much harder to do that safely around. Yeah, they're I very good. I love dried they're mangoes. Shout out to dried mangoes. Yeah. Where's the startup uh, disrupting uh, dried fruit <laughs> delivery? Because I, w- I would love some of that. They're actually, know. it's snack box and some of those, right? That's ba- probably what you go for. I love those. Let's move on to a listener email we received a couple of weeks ago. Apologies for the delay in addressing this. Uh, Mark Dell, who's in the chat right now. But hey, if anybody else wants to shoot us emails, uh, podcastandgadget.com, we would love to take your questions and it's a good way to just make us think about things in different ways. So Mark Dell is asking, he was thinking about getting a System76 laptop to try something a little different than just having a Windows or a Mac. He knows he could just use Pop! OS, uh, which is a Linux distro on another device, but he's curious about the whole experience. Have we tried these devices? What do we think? Um, so System76 is a company that builds um, Linux-specific hardware, right? Without Windows or without anything on them. Sherlyn, have you heard of this company? I have not used any of them. 
No. Okay. Yeah. I haven't used them either, but I've heard things from people. Um, I just always, I just can't quite see the point of them. I can understand like having, just buying a laptop that has, you know, a fully compatible Linux distro built in that is already, you know, addressed all the driver issues and everything like is just a pick up and go Linux machine. But at the same time, I do feel like the hardware looks fine. The internals are great, but I don't know if I can trust the case designs. I don't know if I can trust the reliability of this hardware. Whereas you can buy something from, you know, yeah, any Windows PC maker. Hey, get the get the XPS 13 I love so much <laughs> um, for pretty much the same price. Because the thing about Linux machines is that it used to be you were getting them significantly cheaper because you're not paying for a Windows license. But right now it's doesn't really matter. Like you could get the XPS 13, not spend much more than, you know, any of these System76 systems and have a lot better hardware to deal with just because that screen is so beautiful. Like Dell is just doing such great work. And I think you get better support too. Um, I always am wary about the product support I get from smaller companies. But hey, if anybody else has tried System76 and you want to chime in and tell us what your experience has been, definitely let us know. But yeah, I think those are my thoughts. Like get an XPS 13, get like, there are so many good Windows laptop options. Uh, one thing I've seen people recommend is look for refurbished corporate laptops, especially like refurbished ThinkPads, which you can usually get for real cheap for like under 500 bucks. And it may be a couple years old, but it's perfectly suited for Linux. That's an option too. Okay, for Linux, sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I, I yeah. was going to say that like, I've heard of and have personally had issues with Lenovo devices in general. So I'm like, Lenovo's hold off on that thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the, yeah. Those are not great. The refurbished ThinkPad's not going to be that great. It'll like break in mm-hmm. like 20 minutes. Um, but yeah, I think that's a good call. It's just like look for refurbished others, other mm-hmm. brand devices and mm-hmm. yeah, run your Pop! OS on there. Let's move on to what we've been working on. I just want to shout out my reviews of the uh, of AMD's Radeon RX 6800 and 6800 XT. Uh, These are AMD's first high-end GPUs in a very long time. And these are competing directly with the new stuff from NVIDIA. So specifically the RTX 3080 and 3070. Yeah, yeah, so it's pretty cool. Um, I really like the 6800 XT. Uh, It is 650 bucks in benchmarks. It performs better than the 699 RTX 3080. So like AMD is here to really compete. Um, the 6800 is in a weirder spot because it's 579 and it's kind of competing with the RTX 3070. That card typically goes for around 499, like ideally it should be 499. So it is faster than the 3070, but in some ways I think the, when I review that thing, I think the 3070 is a great deal in general because it gets you great gaming performance and great ray tracing. And ray tracing, both of these cards have hardware-accelerated ray tracing. It's something we've been waiting to see for a while from AMD. And we know they could do it because both the PS5 and the Xbox Series S and X can, can handle that, you know. So AMD's hardware is powering those uh, those consoles. And the ray tracing on these cards, it's fine, but it's <laughs> very slow. It's not like it's not anywhere near what NVIDIA is offering at this point. So you could really tell that NVIDIA has at least a year head start in terms of implementing and optimizing ray tracing. So I would not, you you can't run some games with ray tracing on these cards like Dirt 5, which also runs on the, the consoles just fine. But something like Control, which kills pretty much any system you put it on if you crank up ray tracing, I could not play Control on any system with these cards. Um, whereas with the RTX 3080, you could still crank up ray tracing 
and use a couple of optimizations to make control really playable and still get you 60 FPS. I really missed NVIDIA's DLSS technology with these cards because that was a thing where they would render the game at a lower resolution, use AI optimizations to kind of upscale that lower resolution to get you something that looks similar to a true 4K image. But basically it means there's less graphical overhead on the card and on your system, uh, and the games still look good. Uh, AMD doesn't quite have something like that yet, but I hear they're working on a similar scaling feature. So anyway, these are interesting cards. Uh, I still think the 3070 is the best buy for most people hmm. right now. But if you want a high-end card, the, the 6800 XT is cool. If you have a Zen 3 CPU, I believe, you'll get even a bit of a performance bump because AMD has managed to make the, the memory interface... Uh, pretty seamless between its hardware but even if you have an intel system like this will be a fast card i just feel like the best deal is still the 3070 and the best overall performer without going up to the crazy ass you know fifteen hundred dollar 3090 is the 699 3080 so that's kind of where everything stands competition is good and hopefully like now maybe now nvidia will also look at amd as more of a serious threat in the high-end space and not just the the mid-range space so that's it. That's my GPU talk for the week. <laughs> I also want to shout out quickly, uh, I wrote up uh, my experience using uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, Tales from the Galaxy's Edge, the new VR experience that's hitting Oculus Rift headsets today. Um, that thing, it's super cool. Um, I, I've talked about Vader Immortal before, and that was a great like linear story set within VR, um, you know, and in the Star Wars universe, this one's a little more open-ended. So you play as a, um, as a droid repair technician who gets roped into this, like, um, you basically, was it the Guavian Death Squad? You encounter the Guavian Death Squad <laughs> early on in the game and you get stranded on Batu, and then you could just hang out on Batu. You can, you can hang out in, uh, when the cantina's there, you could go out into the wild and hunt and you know collect items and stuff it is kind of an open world game but there are also elements of quests um there's also like actual storytelling within it um there's a quest where if you collect a certain amount of ingredients for a drink you can um the barkeep in the game will tell you a story about uh from the high republic era about a young padawan and yoda from that time so that's kind of cool that they can encapsulate different stories within the framework of this game. That specific experience is only 15 minutes long, but hopefully down the line, like we'll see more stories and hopefully they'll be longer. But if you're just getting an Oculus Rift or Oculus Quest, actually, if you're just getting an Oculus Quest one or two now, play Vader Immortal first. I think it is a much better like mainline experience, but this is a cool thing to play around with. Like, uh, let me tell you guys, I was watching the last episode of The Mandalorian and <laughs> loving the season. Super good. We'll talk more about it later. But I immediately went from watching that show to jumping into this game in VR. And it just felt weird because I was like, oh, everything I was just watching on my TV, I'm just like jumping into it. And there was a weird sense of like cognitive dissonance in a way. Like it just felt uncanny to see how fully realized the Star Wars world is within VR. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought this was really cool. Um, if you have a Quest 2, definitely check it out. Trillin, what's up with you? Um, I have been working on some behind-the-scenes stuff, uh, reviewing a, a laptop that hopefully you guys will see the review next week, um, and also doing some reporting for some year-end stories that I talked about mm -hmm. uh, last time as well. But this week, uh, thanks a lot, Google, for the last-minute event on Wednesday, which was yesterday. Um 
you know, at 12.30 p.m. Eastern, Google launched, uh, well, Google Pay had an event basically introducing a redesign of its app and a new thing called Plex by Google. It has to be Plex by Google because Plex is otherwise very widely known as the media server app, but never mind. Um, this is really, I think Plex sounds a lot like it might be an Apple Card competitor, but it really is actually just Google enabling some smaller banks and financial institutions to have a modern banking app. Um, one of the, I mean, that's why you will not see names like I think Bank of America and Capital One on sure. there because those guys have really good mobile app experiences already. Is this basically Google doing like simple, like the like the online bank simple basically? Uh, I'm actually not familiar with simple, so I can't, okay. I can't tell you what that is. But they, they were like the only web-based bank for a very long time. So oh. that was like the big thing with them. So it does yeah. feel familiar. Yeah. A little bit, mm -hmm. but uh, I mean, yeah. So you can apply for an account, you know, via the Google Pay app. Yeah. And, uh, you know, right now it's not available yet. You'll have to join the wait list. But so currently the uh, there are nine to 11 uh, financial institutions that have, you know, confirmed that they're going to be working on Plex accounts. Mm -hmm. Uh, and one of them that announced yesterday as well was Citibank. And so it's the Cityplex account. Uh, <laughs> there'll be what? No overdraft fees, no, uh, no overdrafts, no minimum ba balance requirement, no monthly fees, that sort of thing. But you can apply online. And the whole spiel is that you have this great like app experience really uh you'll manage like you'll sign up and you won't get a card you won't get a physical card but you'll get uh -huh. a, a debit mastercard and then you'll also have um you know access to pay which by the way with the redesign is now like a mix of venmo and mint um you can do a mm. lot of money transfers from there which you could already do with pay um, but Google's redesigned the interface so that the homepage focuses on the people and businesses you interact with the most. So, like, for example, if I were to pay Davindra a monthly, like, coffee for podcast fee. Yes, um, please do. <laughs> no, thank you. He would show up on my homepage as one of the heads of people that I, you know, interact with a lot on Google Pay. Um, and then brands like, for example, Panera or I guess JCPenney or something like that. Are they still around? Anyway, um, would, be, <laughs> would be also showing up on there uh, if you make some sort of purchase at their store and want to pay via pay so and then there's also the part of it that again is similar to what apple was saying they wanted to do with apple card is to help people understand their finances better um so it'll the the main differentiator here that google has over competitors like i don't know mint and other mobile banking apps too is the search function because google mm -hmm. is so good at search obviously so what you can do with the google pay app when you have all your you know bank accounts your cards like linked to it, you can search for something like gym or, you know, you remember you bought a smoothie at the gym, but you can't remember how much it cost. You can be right. like gym and then it'll pull up all the transactions that are related to gyms based on like location, based on brand mm -hmm. name or based on product name, whatever, or even it can scan receipts that you've taken a photo of uh, mm -hmm. in from your photos app or from Gmail. And that's you know, of course, you have to give it permission to access those accounts, but like then it will pull up those receipts and scan also for the information and show you the transaction you're thinking of. So that's one thing that really stands out about the new Google Pay app. Um, but by and large, though, everything else seems like things that people have done before. I don't know if I can trust any of this because of we'll my see. just general distrust of Google, um, especially them getting directly into finances and seeing your receipts like. Okay. I mean, they've already been able to yeah. do that. They're just making it, 
you know, within the finance app right now. Like, you think Google yeah. can see your receipts if you took a photo of it before? Of course That doesn't could. make it better, surely. I know. Like, I'm not saying it's... It better I'm just be. saying, like, you're... you're yeah, I, now I they're actually using the info. Right. Yeah. It shouldn't be new fear. It's, like, existing fear that continues It's existing exist. fear, but also fear of Google, like, literally... They can tell all our transaction information, like, from our email and everything, too, um, but now they'll have even deeper details right. on that. Yeah. So I was on a roundtable with the head of Google uh-huh. Pay, um a few other folks. And one of the things they brought up when I asked about the privacy and security aspect mm-hmm. is um, one thing is they won't share your transaction history uh, to be used for targeted ads, which is so important. I'm just like, okay, thank, thanks for saying that. But yeah. it kind of makes me wonder yeah. what else is being, yep. you know, tracked or searched. So I, I, I understand. I totally agree. There's a lot of like security concerns here. I, I mean, I personally want to try, I, I use Google Pay. So I'm going to like, Check it out and see if the redesign makes a difference. The problem is, I think Google will have a hard time convincing people to migrate from whatever service they're existing, they're currently right. using, to use Pay instead. So we'll yeah. see. We'll see. But that's what I, but we'll part see. of what I was working on covering that event live was a uh, was mm-hmm. fun. I think no, it was not. <laughs> uh, it was a. Not I mean, fun it's, it's always it's cool to have like an actual event where you have to like okay hustle and write news. I, and talk. Yeah, so to it me, was there, there's a, a certain energy with that. Yeah. So good job there, Shalin. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I think it's going to be interesting to see, like, because yeah, we we've seen the Apple Card, we've seen a bunch of stuff. I think it's just interesting to see how companies take advantage of this space. Yeah. Um, Zelle is a thing, you know. Uh, a lot of banks are yep. using to transfer money now because they want to have a way outside of PayPal and outside of Venmo. Um, right. The space is going to get more interesting, but man, I can't trust anybody involved yeah. with it. But I, I guess that's just normal. Anyway, well, okay. If you're listening, you know, mm-hmm. if you're listening or watching, and you're thinking of like the digital money transfer app you use, like Zelle, Venmo, Google Pay, whatever it is, send us like your thoughts. What are the wish list features you want? Like for me, international money transfer that's easy and seamless. I don't care about mm-hmm. paying a small fee each time. Right, uh, right. That's a big wish list item for me. And yes, you can do PayPal, mm-hmm. but it's still not very easy. So and it's also us- limited. PayPal and Venmo are like limited too. Yeah. So yeah. So send, send mm-hmm. whatever it is. That makes it easy to send my mom money. That's it. Anyway, yeah. uh, <laughs> send us your advice, your thoughts, and your wish list items uh, yeah. to podcast. Please send Sherlin's mom all your money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> podcast. Where, where at to? Com. Oh my gosh. I'm Ain't. trying to get the email address out. <laughs> all right. Let's move on to our picks. And uh, just, just quickly, I want to talk about The Mandalorian season two, which I, I've already mentioned, but love this freaking show. It, it is a lot of fun. It is a great. The great thing about The Mandalorian is that it is a quiet Star Wars show. Like, it's a show that allows room for silence amid mm. the, like, blaster shootouts and amid the, like, <laughs> explosions and ship and the ship, uh, ship chases and everything. So it reminds me a lot of, like, the original trilogy and what we what a lot of people love about that. So I'm just really digging the season. Uh, it is leaning heavily on guest stars. I won't spoil too many of them here, but the first episode has Timothy Oliphant as a freaking you know, space cowboy. And I am fully down with that. Like, I, I think Oliphant should be, make him a cowboy in every single genre moving forward. You know, so say we all. Uh, I'm really digging Mandalorian S2. Um, so I'm That's glad it's still around. You can really see the money on the screen because it's sort of like you're <laughs> watching a new Star Wars movie every year or every week. And that to me is pretty cool. It just feels like, man, I'm watching the future of entertainment here. Um, we've talked a bit about this before where they're doing this unique production design where essentially there are giant LED panels 
on a set that they can project uh, different sets and different worlds and wow. environments on. So they can create a lot of shots that look as if they're on location on an alien planet um, and actually make it more realistic. So the lighting mm-hmm. hits people, you know, uh, in a realistic way compared to just having a green screen and having a digital background. So I'm just really digging it. Uh, it's a really fun show. And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of the season. <laughs> Sherlyn, what is your pick? I am waiting. I'm uh, waiting for the surprise. First, the thing you talked about with the giant LED screens uh-huh. uh, reminded me of like Samsung's events where they'd have like huge... Yeah. <laughs> The stage that's basically the giant it. background, right? Exactly. Yep. So that sounds amazing. Um, mm-hmm. My recommendations this week. I'm deviating slightly from the horror uh, picks. I want to. Uh, I've been actually keeping these recommendations in a, like on the list for a while now because I was like, okay, one day when I run out of ideas, I'll recommend these things. But I think it's time now to, to kind of bring them up. So I throughout the doom scrolling election like days i needed a break from all that stuff so uh other than watching tv and whatever uh i found it most enjoyable to decompress by actually surprisingly watching some like instagram stories and tiktoks and whatever sure i am a young okay because you could you could also just like (laughs) lay down in bed and just like lay flat and watch no, but I want to be distracted because yeah. my brain's yeah. too like doom, doom, doom. Um, <laughs> so I want to start with the first one that really like brought a lot of like joy, I think, for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have three to recommend you guys. So the first one is Grandmama. I think you all might have heard of this uh, TikTok or TikTok and Instagram account uh, mm-hmm. where it's basically this mom and her son, Gray. He is adorable. Uh, mm-hmm. He just turned three. And you, you guys might know him from the uh, video that went viral a while ago. He, uh, he's the kid that always says "Thank you, Mama" when she hands him a plate of food, and she posted mm-hmm. a montage of like, like just a lot of these in a row where every time she hands him a plate of food, he goes "Thank you, Mama," "Thank you, Mama," "Thank you, Mama," "Thank you," and he's mm-hmm. like the "Thank you, Mama" boy. <laughs> Adorable. I mean, if you like cute baby content, there's a lot of it on Gray and Mama. I absolutely adore it. <laughs> um, it's so cute. Okay, the second uh, account that I started to watch around that time was. Nicole Dubois, I think, is how you pronounce her last name. Um, mm-hmm. Or at Nikki Dubes. She's a comedian. <laughs> and her, she has, like, different series of um, joke, like, I guess, skits, right? And mm-hmm. <laughs> one of them, which is my favorite, is the suburban mom character that she pulls out in place. And it's just her going... You're finished in the bathroom? I guess I thought you still had business in there because you left the light on. Mama needs her medicine. (laughs) I'm kidding. Have a good one. Hilarious. Like, I love a lot of the stuff that she does. And, um, yeah, it was just, it's it's a really great um, break from what's on Twitter for me just to watch this. And finally, the third one is this account called Brunch Boys. Turns out Brunch Boys' creator um, is actually a regular listener of the Engadget podcast. Uh, cool. It's cool. Yeah, I was surprised. So I will not make fun of the name Brunch Boys. But well, yeah, I'm confused. I get it. I get it. I, I also miss being a Brunch Boy. Because <laughs> brunch is one of the best things we had in the before times. I you know. know. Like as much as people well, would hate on it. Yeah. I am confused because there's, I think, only one boy, but I don't know why uh, it's Brunch Boys. But I mean, maybe it's for all of you brunch boys anyway it's all um, it's all for brunch boys yeah i will Listen, say let's though, let's shout out to brunch the lost brunch. art of brunch that we that we lost because it was i, I think especially for 
overworked people like you and me, Sherlyn, who just like yes. will go through the week without like eating proper things. It was <sighs> always great to be able to just like go to a place, plop yourself down, yeah, and just telling a restaurant to please feed me. Yeah. While I have an all-you-can-drink mimosa God, yeah. or Bloody Mary well, or something. Like, yeah. I mean, for me, <clears throat> excuse me, for me, I always, I'm not a morning person. So anytime I wake up, it's time mm-hmm. for brunch anyway. Right, um, but, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great I, meal for non-morning people because exactly. brunch lasts until 3 p.m. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I'm sometimes <laughs> not up yet by then. But anyway, uh, point wow. is, uh, the Brunch Boys account, not only is it like, amazing so proceed with caution because it's gonna make you hungry as hell and i've like had to be like i can't watch this any longer because this is making me yeah. very hungry are you but, are you watching any other food shows by the way like just not, in general i mean i used to watch kitchen nightmares and mm, um that's not mm, i know it's like not a really food show food that show. will actually make you hungry i know shout i don't want to watch everybody any yeah yeah can't watch any somebody feed phil i just want to throw a shout out to somebody okay. feed phil which remains um one of the most delightful things on netflix okay. but please continue Charlotte. yes yeah, so i'm going to finish my last thought about brunch boys's account which is it but the good thing about <laughs> it is that like i already have like seen from their the, the account like all these places i want to go to and it's okay to go places again like i'm like mm-hmm. all right i'm saving that like that there was like a, I mean, there was like a Mapo tofu taco or something, something like uh-huh. that. Or like that a, sounds I don't messy know. and way too spicy. To be I can't remember what, what exactly it was. Not maybe not a taco or something, but anyway, it was just mm-hmm. like a, an interesting fusion of food. And I just like, oh, I'm going there next time. So, just for the discovery by proxy, I think is a is that's a fun account to follow. <laughs> so hey, with these three recommendations, I'm just like. I'm with the times. Hey. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy relaxing to those, but definitely send me like any other suggestions. I'm here for all the cute baby and food content. And that's it for our episode this week, everyone. Thank you as always for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Davindra online at... At Davindra on Twitter and at the slash filmcast slash film dot com. Check out our recent episodes and uh, hey, we started a Patreon. So that's uh, that's a fun thing. We're producing more and I'm really enjoying it. If you have wholesome, fun, very not R-rated uh, Instagram stories or reels or TikTok accounts I should follow, send them to me <laughs> at Sherlyn Lowe on Twitter. I occasionally fleet. Email us at podcast.engadget.com. Leave us a review on iTunes, please. And subscribe on anything that gets podcasts, including Spotify. And just a quick thing. We're not going to have a normal episode next week because, hey, it's Thanksgiving. But I did record an interview with the director of Astro's Playroom, the awesome PS5 launch title. So keep an eye out for that. We had a really good conversation about Sony's new DualSense controller and kind of how they basically built the game around the design of that controller. So that'll be a fun combo. Check it out next week.